Hello, and welcome to the Tech Time Podcast, a show dedicated to sharing strategy, insight, and stories related to digital design and development. I'm your guest host today, John Mann. And today we'll be talking about CMSs. I'd like to introduce Matt Toigo from the DC office. Go ahead, Matt. Hey, this is Matt Toigo. I'm the Director of Engineering uh, down here in the DC office, and I've run into a lot of CMS platforms and CMS problems and CMS decisions for our, all of our clients at my three and a half years at Huge, and just like talk through those and kind of just advise the big federal government client on which CMS to pick, too. Great. So I know we were briefly talking earlier about different philosophies of CMSs. So tell us some of those philosophies and the pros and cons of each. So I feel like there's three uh, philosophical approaches to CMS design. And I'll kind of just run through those three philosophies real quick, and we can dive into kind of what the what those platforms are. The three philosophies, I'd say, are author-supported one where you're adding components to a page. So it's give me a blank slate of a page, and as an author, I want to drag and drop pieces onto a page is one. There's what I call website in a box, where website in a box is a very complete website, but has a lot of opinions on kind of how it does things. And then there's finally the blank slate CMSs, which are much more do whatever front-end work you want, and then I'll insert content where you tell me to. So those are the three kind of buckets of CMSs I've seen, and we've kind of interfaced with all three of them here at Huge. And like most things in technology, there's no right decision. I have some preferences on some that are a little easier for Huge to work with based on how we work since we're so UI and front-end focused. So what are the primary, like, let's let's start with the first one. What would be a good example of a platform that would line up with that philosophy? Sure. So the kind of drag-and-drop WYSIWYG-type CMS you see most often is AEM. Um, so AEM is mostly you have templates and you have what's called a parsis inside of a AEM template where you can drag components. So a lot of the AEM work we do is custom-built templates and custom-built components. And then authors then have a component library so they can start with a page template and they can then drag and drop components onto those pages and then fill in values for those components. So things like a header or you know an order list or things like that. So they're taking a library of components and using them to construct a page. I think Sitecore works kind of like that, John, or is it, is it different? No, Sitecore definitely has a look and feel like that. It does have an area where you can do drag and drop. But okay. it also has an area where you simply enter content, which I think leads to the second one you were talking about. Yeah, so with these kind of like drag and drop ones, they're a lot of work for developers because you spend a lot of time not just on kind of what the front end looks like, but also making sure the components work right for the content authors. So a lot of the work we do on projects is making the experience with the content author is good to work with the components. And it's also really tricky because you can limit what templates components go into, but you end up with a lot of testing work because you have to make sure various components interact well with each other when they're stacked on top of each other or put next to each other or work in various layouts and things like that. Right. So the testing work on those kind of systems is a lot of work. So those systems are, in general, if you do everything right, they're usually seen as the best experience for a content author. Um, because they kind of also let someone understand what they're doing. So other CMSs I'll talk about, kind of you do things and the website updates and you might not know how it's going to update. These ones are very much like Microsoft Word and you think about it, right? If I'm making this thing right in front of me, I'm making a web page that's going to look this way. But there's a lot of work to make sure the authoring interface works with the preview interface that looks like the actual web page that's published. 
when right. you use those kind of systems. They're generally the most work for developers to use those, but content authors generally like them the best if they're done properly. Because they, the developers can actually control what components can stack into certain components. It can actually define the content model and how that actually is going to work for that specific client. And it also helps them to uh, prevent users from being the, the foolproof idiots that could potentially happen. <laughs> yeah, but users still want a lot of leeway in these systems. So right. like when you prevent them from doing something, they're like, well, why can't I put this component here? And then you have to say, well, we just literally didn't want to test this component in you know, 80 different places, so we made some reasonable design assumptions. And our design teams also want to limit those things too sometimes. They kind of design a component to only be used certain places. Um, the one thing with a lot of these systems too, though, I've seen is they're commonly sold as you'll make these components in the work once for every website project. When in reality, I don't think that ever happens. That's how these are sold to clients. Like you'll, you know, you'll make the ordered list component once, and you'll reuse it everywhere. Where in order to do that, you would have to make some kind of pretty boring, bland design, right? Uh, perhaps. And then, you know, when you hire huge, we do really specialized designs. So we end up kind of tweaking those components for every time you want to use them on different websites. So the vision of a component library that will be reusable everywhere, and you'll never hire developers again, is kind of sold with these systems. But I don't think is the reality we've seen uh, for our clients sometimes. It is generally driven by the designs that they're asking for or the designs that we provide and that they approve. And when you get to the, that level of creativity and design, there's definitely technical challenges to say, all right, we want these designs, but we want complete flexibility and we want to be able to reuse every component. And yep. that just doesn't exist. It doesn't, no. It's, I mean, it's how general do you want to make something? And, general, and when you hire huge, we're usually doing very specific, very minute, stylized interactions for a great user experience. Right. Um, so it's not an unachievable goal with these kind of systems, but I've definitely seen it be very difficult to achieve for our clients with these kind of systems. I know one thing that we have done in the past is we actually created a design system that was written on top of Sitecore. And then they understood the limitations of that. And then they actually kept themselves constrained by those limitations. So they would spin up microsites and all those microsites had the exact same brand across the entire organization. And by doing it that way, they're like, well, no, you're not allowed to do that because it doesn't let you do that. And they were like, oh, but I'd really like to. Yes, you would, but we don't do that. And once they understood that and they trained their content editors of what they could actually do, the, every site they spun up was great and they loved it. Yeah, that's good if they accept the design constraints moving forward. When what's the more looking websites, I think that's a really good solution. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really difficult to get them to buy into it. But yeah. when you can show them that you will never have to call us again in regards to that, and you can spin up all of these wonderful sites, then, then they're like, oh, you're going to save us a lot of money. Yes, but there's limitations. Yeah, and those limitations are a little hard when you work with huge quality design and UX and right. product where we want to do the best possible thing. Yeah. You generally don't want to constrain us too much when you hire us. So it's, that's a, a tightrope to walk. And uh, it, it also depends on timelines too, right? There, There's one site that we were asked, they're like, so we have two weeks, what can you give us? <laughs> and that's literally what they asked. And it ended up being just a, a WordPress theme. And we're like, all right, we'll do a custom WordPress theme for you and then you run with it. So yeah, let's look, go into the, the next philosophy. Okay, what was that? Number the next two. one is kind of what I call website in a box. So I would put WordPress and Drupal in this area. So when you install WordPress, you actually have essentially 
a website, right? Your website is kind of there facing the public. You can kind of edit some content and you have a website. It's got a lot of opinions though on how things should look and how your front end work is done and things like that. But if you're a small business, that's fine, right? Right. So let's say I own a flower shop. I have three employees. I just want the flower shop WordPress theme, you know, and I want it to generally work. That's a totally great solution for that. I don't want to care about writing front end HTML. I don't want to care about templating languages. I want a website in a box for a reasonable amount of money. Um, and more and more you've seen those kind of, those level of customers though just go with hosted CMS options completely, which are things like Wix or Weebly or Webs and or those Squarespace, kind of players. Yeah. Because they don't want to deal with updating and maintaining WordPress themselves. So the website in a box solution is great in that you get a website in a box and you can kind of install some plugins and you don't really control the user experience of the UI too much. You're kind of going to play by their rules initially. Um, but those kind of systems too, if you want to go really deep on them, you can. So we here at Huge have used WordPress and Drupal multiple times. And there's generally two ways you would kind of work with them. The first is with their theming layers. And I honestly can't stand either of the theming layers for these because what happens at Huge is we end up with our front-end engineers needing to understand WordPress or Drupal theming which is, you know, it takes a little bit of time to learn via the hook system and things like that in Drupal, and it's not always easy. Um, so what you actually end up doing is not just writing your theming and front-end code, you have to kind of write code to almost stop it from doing what it was originally going to do. Right. So I feel like in those scenarios, you actually end up with more technical debt and more code because you had to tell it to not do the thing it was going to do. Instead of outputting this HTML, output this HTML here, and you end up with a lot of kind of knowledge where you need to actually implement your own front-end work in that theming layer. You can do it. So there's nothing you can't do as far as front-end theming with those. It's just you have to have a really deep understanding of those theming layers and like Drupal and WordPress and kind of how to override them, which is a little tricky sometimes for sure. Well, one of the things I've seen, I mean, I'm most familiar with WordPress. And one of the things I've seen in regards to some themes is they actually – there's like three different ways to override functionality. And I have seen most people override it incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's tough, right? It's, it's, it's kind of the Wild West when you get into that theme, those theming layers. I know, I think Drupal is better now and uses Twig. You can use Twig for Drupal templating, which is a, a pretty lightweight PHP-based templating language. But I mean, the times I've dealt with it was just PHP all over the place in the theming layer. Right. It's super messy. No, I saw people actually doing updates directly to WordPress code, and then WordPress gets updated and they lose everything. <laughs> and they're like, hey, what happened to my theme? I was like, you actually updated the core functions of WordPress. You didn't actually create a theme. Yeah, and so that gets to the other way people use WordPress and Drupal, which one of the big projects I worked on at Huge was Headless Drupal. And headless just means that there's no presentation theming layer logic inside of WordPress or Drupal. It means their job is just to output feeds of JSON. Then you can build another application somewhere else to consume those feeds of JSON um, and then just do whatever you want with the presentation layer. These are attractive because our front-end engineers can generally work with them really quickly. So say to a front-end engineer, hey, do you want to parse a feed of JSON or do you want to understand WordPress theming? That's an easy sell. Literally 10 times more work to do the WordPress theming than probably parse the JSON structure to get the content they want, right? Especially when they're familiar with all of the front end frameworks out there like Vue, Angular, and React. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's like, so a lot of engineers like that approach. The downside is that you kind of lose some context as a content author in those systems for what your updates do. So you go from editing a post or like a page to editing. 
content that's going to be consumed somehow as an API and then do something. So you kind of have to really understand how the content you're editing will affect the finished website because it's not as clear because there's that extra layer of disconnection via an API. They're not the right fit for everything. I do like this approach, though. The one project I worked on here like that was a big hospital. And people think of the CMS as everything, but for really big clients, the CMS is often one of maybe five to ten big systems that need to be integrated. Right. So it actually makes sense to have kind of an application integration tier above the CMS. And we used Symphony, which is a big PHP framework. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Drupal was one of five big things to integrate because we had to integrate with medical scheduling systems and things like that. And if you have the option of doing those integrations in a agnostic, reusable framework like Symphony or in a CMS like WordPress, you want to do them in something like Symphony as Symphony bundles where they're testable and easily reusable and can be used in any PHP project. So when you have these really big CMS builds sometimes, I feel like the headless approach makes a lot of sense because a CMS isn't your whole website. It's only one of maybe five systems that will interact. And you have this kind of application layer on top of the CMS that gives you a layer of flexibility and integration where you can kind of bring data in from multiple systems to make the UIs you want to instead of having to write WordPress or Drupal modules to like integrate with HIPAA or integrate with Epic, the medical scheduling system, for example. So that headless approach is actually really good for some really big organizations where they don't want to be limited by the CMS as far as integration capabilities. They want to have a real deal application framework on top of the CMS that has better integration capabilities. Okay. No, it's, I mean, I know for a lot of the projects I've done recently, we have always leaned more towards a headless approach so we can actually do those creative custom designs. Like one of the, the big headless ones that we've been using is Contentful. What yep. are some other headless ones that you would recommend? So that's category three. So right. I'm going to say category three isn't necessarily headless. It's what I call blank slate CMSs. So Contentful is the one we play with here. The other two that I like a lot are Expression Engine and Craft CMS. And Craft. they're a little different than headless, but let's talk about this too. So when I say blank slate, if WordPress is website in a box, uh, Craft, Expression Engine, and Contentful, they have no front-end work at all, right? Right. You have to write all of your front-end work, which for huge is a really good fit because we're going to write all our front-end work anyway. Right. We're going to do super specialized designs. We want to control where our breakpoints are. We want to do the best front-end work possible and tweak it and move things around a tiny bit. So you're getting a full custom front-end from Huge no matter what. So starting with a platform that needs a full custom front-end is a really good fit for working with Huge because we're not going to fight WordPress theming. We're not going to fight how AEM or Sitecore might want to do things. We're just giving a blank slate to paint whatever we want to on top. And these CMSs are really nice because we can do all our front-end work, and then we can just use tagging um, to pull in content where we need, which is really nice. So the CMSs are, are very unopinionated about front-end work, where, I mean, front-end work changes every couple months, how we're doing it, what's the latest thing. So you want your CMS to be as unopinionated as possible about front-end work. You don't want any opinions from your CMS as far as front-end work, in my opinion, because you want to, because that's what's kind of really evolving so fast. So with these CMS platforms, you generally do your front-end work. They have kind of a way to put templates into them. And then you can usually use a custom templating language to ask for content from the CMS when you want it. So this is how Expression Engine and Craft work. Contentful is similar in that you just have to make the API call to Contentful to get the content. But there's wrapper libraries already for Contentful that make it pretty close to a templating language to pull content when you want. So these CMSs are really, really nice to work with in that they don't constrain at all how we do front-end work, and front-end developers barely need to learn the CMSs. They just need to learn how to ask them for content, 
right. when they want them. And Craft and Expression Engine are good, but they're still things you host yourself, so you have to update. Contentful is a total game changer because you don't have to update or patch or maintain security or any of those things, where we have clients who have whole teams to manage their CMS platforms because they're so complex. Right. We show them Contentful and say, oh, it's $500 a month, and you'll never have to patch it or have a team that runs it. And it, it's a game changer because they spend so much money on that. So there's even cases where Contentful isn't as much of a good fit for a client, but they're so burned out on CMS maintenance costs, it's, it's such a nice deal for them yeah. to not have to worry about CMS maintenance and patching or things like WordPress and Drupal where you're um, aligning like 20 or 30 user-contributed modules and having to patch them and they might not be aligned with the upgrade cycle of WordPress or Drupal are major problems and nasty problems to deal with. So some clients really like Contentful. It's also just easy to start using too. So like you don't have to commit to a CMS migration. You can have a legacy CMS and say like, well, I just want this one page maybe to pull in some content from Contentful. Mm. And if you have the right templating layer, you can do that. Yep. Uh, where you don't have to make a whole commitment to it. Or a client says, we want to build a website in two weeks really quickly, uh, <laughs> but we have one page we need to update. Right. You say, great, we can just use Contentful. You can manage content on one page. Like a client shouldn't put a couple week project on a big CMS, they should just maybe have some easy way to edit the content there. They might go with a static site generator in that case. If they're technical, we'd recommend those. Right. Uh, but those blank slate CMSs are personally my favorite to work with, and I think are generally a good fit for Huge as well, and we're seeing more and more of our customers move towards Contentful. Well, there, yeah, there's one thing that, I don't know if you got the alert, but I know I got it recently, that <laughs> Contentful actually is now has different environments for a given space now, too. That's been lacking in a main that, pain point we've had for a while. That has been, it's in beta right now, and it came out, I think, this week. And I already am running it, and I'm like, oh, wow, look, I have a QA environment, I have a staging environment, I have a production environment. The other interesting thing that's happening a lot, too, is there's a move towards a lot of people using static site generators like Pexo or Metalsmith Metal or Smith, things like yeah. that. They're really good, but then you still kind of, with those, you've traditionally just managed content and markdown files. There's a push now for hooking those things up to Contentful. So when those things actually generate static sites, they pull in the content you need from Contentful, which is pretty neat. And in Contentful, you can actually set up a post-publish hook. So in DC, we use this where when you update something in Contentful, you can have Contentful issue a post to another process to kick something off. So in that case, what you would do is you update content in Contentful, you could have a deployment process that runs your static site generator and pushes it to an S3 bucket or Netlify, which is what we're using, we're using now, and then updates automatically. Right. So at that point, you're using a static site generator. You have all the stability and the super simple infrastructure of a static site generator, but it still feels like a modern CMS, right? Because, because you're pulling you, the content as, as you build it. Yeah. So I think that's going to be the future we see a lot is contentful with static site generators that actually automatically run the static site generators via post-published hooks in Contentful. And then because that infrastructure of, you know, a CDN like CloudFront and an F3 bucket will scale to, you know, 10,000 hits a minute right. without without any problems and it will never crash. Right. So no. those are really attractive setups as far as infrastructure. And one of the things we actually did for a project I'm on right now, uh, we use Fargate, right? So we could actually spin up multiple tasks. So yep. it will spin up and tear down as needed, which I thought was amazing with a application load balancer in front of it. So if you're worried about scaling and you're like, oh, we're going to do this one live presentation, you could actually do that through 
uh, a static site generator, to be honest with you, and just add that one little part for your live stream. Yeah, yeah, Netlify, Netlify is the one really cool host there that's kind of built for static site generators. It gets you have a CDN built in. It's super easy to integrate with everything. You can give it a build the site command. Uh, yeah, so that's what we've been using for static site generators. And I think the Contentful plus static site generator plus Netlify stack is gaining a lot of steam from people because they're just kind of super burned out on uh, infrastructure maintenance for some of the bigger CMS platforms. I mean, and some of the big ones are like uh, just re- there's a lot. Uh, of flexibility, but with more flexibility comes more maintenance and more maintenance costs, and then a lot of security concerns and things like that that people don't like. This one company wanted to do OAuth, but they also had LDAP, and they needed to actually have those incorporated. And if they're logging in with OAuth, but they're VPNed in, then they need to actually use their LDAP credentials. Like all of those kind of security things for CMS becomes quite challenging. The other thing, too, with the bigger CMSs is, is really often they're sold with this giant suite of capabilities, and I rarely see clients actually use right. the suite of capabilities they were sold. They're generally only using, I mean, some clients use those full feature sets, yes, but a lot of clients don't touch those full feature sets, and they would be fine with something like Contentful or something that didn't quite have all those features well, and that I, they paid for. I think most of, like, most of the clients that I've interacted with end up going, we want to be able to track our users in regards to their workflows, and we want to be able to update content quickly. And those are the big two. <laughs> those, those are the big- <laughs> that's, I mean, and, and roll back if there's a problem and have revisions. Right, obviously. and and obviously there's generally some level of security, but most of the sites we're not building out even these monstrous. Uh, e-commerce sites. They're just a lot of times just marketing sites for them and yeah. and rebrands. And they want all of that wonderful design that we, we give them. And then they want it all bucketed really, really nice and neatly in some kind of CMS. And they don't even know what that means. So I well, think when we provide them with these various options and explain, hey, this is why you want to go with Headless because all you have to do is enter your content and then the designs can be whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, those things, like these headless CMSs are getting introduced more and more often just due to time constraints. Right. So clients say, we need to stand this up in a month. We say, okay, there's no way we can do this in your enterprise CMS. How about we just do this and hook Contentful up to it or something like that, and then later if you want to move it in, we can work with you on that. And sometimes they don't ever end up moving it in. They just leave it. And they're like, well, this is is good enough, right? This works. Uh, Sure, we don't want to pay to move this into our enterprise CMS. So we see a lot of that where it just naturally happens due to time and price constraints too. Exactly. faster for us to work with. Yeah, there is uh, Nuxt. Have you ever heard of Nuxt as a static site generator? I've heard of it. Yeah, I've never worked with it though. Yeah, so we use Nuxt on top of Contentful. And okay. it the original uh, evaluation was to do a full site core implementation. And then we were given the time constraints of a month. So it was exactly what you said. And I'm like, yeah. That's, you're not going to get it because you're going to have that kind of negotiation for a month on what the licensing is. Yeah. The other thing, too, is those enterprise CMS products, I feel like you really only get value if you really want to train your staff up on them and maintain internal teams that can work with them. Right. I really feel like for quick hire agency type projects, they're pretty rough if you're like, okay, we're going to train up 20 authors, we're going to have a 10-person technical team to really evolve this over the course of three to five years, then they can be good choices. Right. Or, I, I mean, there's a, one of the things to consider too is like there's a client that 
already has one of those enterprise ones and they have staff and they're already staffed and they're like, but we want to move to this new design. That's when they bring us in because you're like, all right, you have the maintenance team for those enterprise level CMSs. Great. The, we can work with them. We can work in a partnership with them and we can get you the wonderful designs that we'll create. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we see a lot of that too. Um, so generally it's just trying to figure out the right way to provide a good user experience. And right. sometimes there's ways of doing that with a lot less work and those enterprise CMSs add value, but sometimes you gotta really sit down and ask yourself, is the value you're getting out of them commensurate with the extra work? Right. And it, there's a lot of scenarios where it's not, it's not a match. There are some where it is, but a lot of times where work we're hired for is not a match to do the work in those CMSs. Have you ever encountered, uh, like I guess it would even be pitch work when they're actually just going down a list of checkboxes rather than figuring out what they actually want to solve? So yeah, I mean, I just wrote a, a giant CMS selection memo for a government agency, and it's like I have a much more philosophical approach. The thing I said to the client was, I don't do the 50 requirements and then score those requirements against three CMSs, you know, uh, or capabilities CMS selection process. I don't do that because there's a lot of reasons I don't do that because generally I feel like you should really only have five to 10 important requirements just to keep yourself focused when you're kind of getting to 50 requirements. There's going to be a lot of extraneous just stuff in there that nobody needs. And the second thing is when you evaluate those CMSs against those criteria, you're often just looking at marketing materials or their website or, or you know, informational brochures about them. They're not actually installing those CMS platforms to make sure the capabilities are what you think they are to meet your requirements. Right. So there's CMS with really strong marketing messages that will come out on top of that CMS selection process. But those kind of things often neglect the software requirements, like a good content authoring experience or like, you know, easy to ramp new authors up on or things like that. So I'm really against the giant CMS requirement selection processes and much more kind of around a holistic process of, okay, what does your team work with? How often are you actually updating content um, and things like that? And those kind of questions, uh, as opposed to these giant requirements lists, because those things, you end up with one of the two big enterprise CMSs usually, and they don't always, they're not always the right fit. And it's very easy to say, like, these are our requirements that must meet these requirements. Right. In reality, you have two requirements. There's really only two requirements initially, which are have a good-looking website and be able to update it. <laughs> Everything else after that has to serve those goals, right? Right. And we get really caught up on, well, it has to have this, has to have that. It doesn't have to. Maybe your organization wants those, but it has to be a nice clean website, and it has to let people update the website. Everything else past that has to meet those two goals. It has to serve those two goals. And you see a lot of requirements that don't really serve those two goals sometimes. So it's worth asking if they're really valid requirements, because sometimes they're not. Right. No, I've, I've actually seen that too. And like some of the lists that they come up with, I think are just from a friend of a friend or they pulled up some report and they're like, according to the Gartner report, this is actually the features we need. Well, what is the problem you're actually trying to solve? And then let's decide what features you actually need. And I think they just, they read those marketing materials, exactly what you said, Yeah. that end up driving their decisions rather than the actual problem they're trying to solve. Yeah, totally agree. So our client we just advised now, who ended up with WordPress, was super reasonable. They go, these are the 10 things we think we want. These are the five that are most important. And they were mostly pretty generic content needs. 
you know there was like one oddball requirement where they need to be able to send people password protected links before they publish things to have other stakeholders preview them and that was the only really oddball requirement the rest of it was all we need to manage you know blog form content like an about page we need to manage like repeating content like a calendar or like you know a blog or things like that and the rest and then we need to see who did what and we need to be able to have revisions to roll back if something gets screwed up you know and past that that's it and the other thing too is i feel like a lot of these cms products too is that any anything big or complicated you want to do with them is always a lot of integration work and custom work so there's certain products that definitely oversell themselves with, oh we do this and people think that's out of the box they do this, when it's still a, no, you still need to get at least a couple hundred hours of an engineer's time to do this problem. Right. Where a lot of the bigger and more complex things are generally not solved out of the box. They're generally still you need an engineer problems, whereas people think sometimes those products solve them out of the box, and they very often, reality does not match uh, the marketing message they've put forth for customers sometimes. So how do you uh, respond to clients that actually, oh, no, I'm pretty familiar with WordPress. I've installed a bunch of plugins. And they're like, I think there's a plugin that does X. How do you actually convince them going, yes, that plugin might do that. However, you need what? Like, how would you respond to that? I'd say, you know, like there's there's the two ways to do software design and there's the way to meet in the middle, which is the correct way, right? Right. I have all these requirements. I need software to exactly meet these. That's that's wrong. There's this software does this. You need to change your entire business process and your requirements to meet this software. That's also wrong. The right approach is to say, okay, maybe I can change how I wanted to do something a little bit, and then the software will meet me in the middle without right. too much custom work. And that's the right way. So I would look at what the WordPress plugin would be and say, what's the goal you're trying to accomplish before we even look at the plugin? And say, okay, does the plugin generally let you achieve that? The problem is clients sometimes actually solution too much with their requirements, right? Yes. That's the thing. So that's why they see, well, this is how I need this to work. You know, I need to, it needs to work this way. And it might not need to work that way to get to the goal they want. So I would probably talk to them, what's the goal you want to achieve? Like being able to roll back content, for example. And then we'd see if there was a WordPress plugin to, to meet their goal. And then maybe it wasn't exactly what they wanted, but it would still let them achieve their goal. Uh, maybe not the way they originally envisioned or wanted it to work in the product, but it still lets them do what they wanted to at the end of the day, um, like to meet their to meet their kind of business requirements they have. So I'd, I'd approach it that way. Right. Um, and then yeah, sometimes we'd have to do custom plugins from scratch if it's something really weird. But in general, like I said, a lot of these content needs are not new. Like managing content on a website is not some new recent problem. It's a very worked on problem, is what I tell them. So if people have kind of worked developed plugins that work as good solutions, you know, generally, you should really think if your business processes can adapt to those good general solutions that a lot of people use and like. Cool. Well, I think we're actually coming up on our time. Is there anything else you'd want to cover? No, I think that was it. Um, I think just always be a little skeptical, too, when people try to sell you stuff. Um, Some of these places have have super strong marketing messages, and they have good products, too. But just um, always try to err on the side of getting a demo environment to get something installed and played with uh, to try to see if it's going to actually do what you want. And then always be sure to involve your actual engineers uh, in the process of evaluating CMS products, too. And we also, I also lend a lot of uh, credence to other huge engineers' experience with the CMS platform and a recommendation, too. Because there's certain things we've worked with that would be a nightmare, you know, and then a client will say, well, you know, 
I want to look at my requirements. I always say, like, well, you, you also want to know our experience with it? You know, they don't think about that, right? Whereas we're in a really good position at Huge, having done so much different work in different CMSs where we can have a, we have a lot of opinions on what's going to work well and what's not for clients. And we have and experience in all of them. <laughs> it's true, and that puts us in a really good spot as far as consulting, which I like. Right. Whereas we're not consultants who read various reports in the CMS project. We're consultants who've been through big, hairy, difficult builds with these products. Yes. So we can tell you what the teams need to look like. We can tell you how much expertise you need to have internally. We can tell you what the hosting options you should probably think about are, what works well and what doesn't. So I really do like relying on other people's experience here at Huge when we make recommendations for CMS products. It makes me way more confident when I tell a client that something's a good idea or a bad idea. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I know where, specifically where I sit, I'm surrounded by what I call the brain trust. And I'm like, hey guys, this is what I'm going to do. And they're like, oh God, don't do that and here's why. Do this instead and it's a lot easier. Cool. Well, thanks for your time. Um, I will actually get this updated and edited and all of those other wonderful things. But um, we'll have to do this again. This yeah, was wonderful. This was, super, this was super fun. Even more fun than I thought it would be. I really enjoy doing things like this. So thanks for your time, Matt. Me too. Thanks so much, Matt. All right.